now there's tiny house expos up and down the country. There are hundreds of people living in tiny homes. I'd say in most most major cities, you'll find people and they tend to be most common in cities that are the most expensive to live in. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 189 with Corianne Holmes. This week, Corianne Holmes is here to tell us her amazing story about moving to New Zealand with her boyfriend, using their life savings to build a tiny house, almost losing the tiny house due to a legal hiccup with their trailer, and ultimately building a slightly larger home and converting their tiny into an Airbnb. Stick around to hear me mispronounce the name of Corianne's town and for a delightful conversation and story about living tiny in New Zealand. But before we get to that, I have one quick ask for you. As the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast approaches 200 episodes, I just wanted to say thank you to all my listeners. I love to hear from you. I love doing this show and all the great conversations that I get to share with you each week. So if you like Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, my ask to you is please share the show with someone who you think will like it. Take their phone, show them how to subscribe to a podcast, or just show them that they can go over to thetinyhouse.net slash THLP and listen to the shows right there on the page. I'm also experimenting with adding the shows to YouTube so you can watch slash listen in the background. So again, my ask is just please share an episode or the show with someone that you think will like it or post it on social media, however you like to do it. It's always great to find new listeners and I really appreciate your support. So again, please share the show with someone you think will like it. All right, on to the show. All right, I am here with Corianne Holmes. Corianne is a black millennial woman living in Dunedin, New Zealand. I should have asked you how to pronounce that. How do you say that? It's Dunedin. Dunedin. There you go. Dunedin, New Zealand. After graduating from Wellesley College, she met her then boyfriend in Boston. And after a few months of dating, she popped the question, will you move to New Zealand with me? They moved in 2014 and decided to use their life savings to build a tiny house. They lived in it for five years. The tiny house allowed them to save enough to build a larger home, mortgage-free, and more recently, they both quit their jobs to run multiple businesses together. Corey has just released her first book about their journey called South Island Tiny House. Corianne Holmes, welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Ethan. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here, and ap- apologies to Dunedin, whoever is listening there. I completely butchered the name of your town. It's a very common mistake to make. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. Shows you how prepared I am. Um, so this is such a such a great story. And um, I'm trying to figure out where to start. But I, I was hoping just maybe um, had you been thinking about moving to New Zealand? Why New Zealand? So it's actually kind of a long story. Okay. It was just it always been on my dad's bucket list. Mm-hmm. He was here on a, uh, a stopover. He was going to Australia and they landed in Auckland and he was like, this is such a beautiful country. I have to come back, put it on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. So about 20 years later, he brought us all as a family trip, family vacation. And 
they fell in love with it. They decided to think about retiring here. So in order to retire here, you have to have the right visa. So they started that process. I think they must've been in their forties or something. Mm -hmm. And since I was, my sister and I were underage, we both got permanent residency in the process as well. Ah. So I received permanent residency when I was still in college and kind of put it to the back of my thought. I was like, yeah, my parents will retire in New Zealand, but I probably won't move there. After two years of working in Boston, I was like, you know what? I think I need to upskill. I need to get my master's degree. And so I asked my then boyfriend at the time, Patrick, and I said, would you like to come to New Zealand with me? I'm only going to do a one-year program, so we'll be back before you know it. (laughs) (laughs) I did my program and we just never went back. (laughs) Wow. And how long ago was that? That was in 2014. We moved here in April of 2014. Nice. Nice. Um, and I, I'm guessing you're not missing being in the sometimes dumpster fire that is the United States. No, no, absolutely not at all. We go back. We, well, we used to go back about once a year to visit family. And my parents are planning on still retiring here, but obviously they've been a bit delayed. Uh-huh. But otherwise, this is home now. Nice. Yeah. And are, have you and Patrick become citizens? So I have become a citizen. Yeah. As soon as I landed in New Zealand, my time started ticking. I think I have to. I had to be here for five years, so I did my citizenship ceremony and have a passport. And Patrick is a permanent resident, um, so I think he's got two and a half years left. Awesome! Um, before he's a citizen. Congratulations! Thank you. So, um, tell me about your tiny house. So, my tiny house. I'm looking at it right out the window that way. <laughs> Um, is basically like a family member to us. It has been so integral to our relationship, to our cat, to our, our life here in New Zealand. Basically, we, when we came, we first moved to Christchurch, which, as you may know, had a really quite horrible earthquake mm-hmm. back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And it had been about two years since the earthquake, but Christchurch was still reeling from the after effects of that. A lot of homes were damaged. There was liquefaction. People were traumatized, displaced. And stupid me didn't think that that would affect the rental market as well. So when we first got here to New Zealand, we were paying the same amount that I was paying for my condo in Boston. And I was like, how does that make any sense? Wow. Wow. So I was like, this is not how we imagined life would be because we knew the exchange rate was good and we knew New Zealand was a little bit cheaper, better lifestyle, et cetera. So we're like, we got to fix this housing problem. Otherwise, we'll never get back on our feet to, you know, saving for retirement and stuff. So we, Patrick is a welder. I should mention that too. And he's pretty handy. He grew up building well, he was framing multi-million dollar mansions outside of Manchester in New Hampshire when okay. he was in high school. He was like, I get the concept. I could, I, we can figure that out if we really want to. Mm-hmm. And so the tiny house movement was just perfect for us. We didn't know if we wanted to stay in Christchurch. So being on wheels, perfect. And we needed something a little bit cheaper than what we were living in. Nice. So you, you kind of did the math and figured out that building a tiny house, you know, would cost however many months of rent and just, just do it. Yeah. 
basically we did, we like, we just treated ourselves like our own personal bank. Mm -hmm. We had to get a plan together, figure out when it would pay. We'd be able to replace the money, pay us, pay ourselves back. What was our plan A, B, and C if things were to go wrong? What if we had to leave New Zealand? What if we had to go back to the state? Yeah. So we thought through all of those big considerations before we decided to to go down that road. And can you share kind of some of those numbers specifically, like, you know, what the house cost to build, how long you kind of uh, calculated the payback would be versus rent? Yeah. So um, our rent at the time was, I think it was $2.95 a week. And we were really fortunate we didn't have any flatmates, Mm -hmm. but that also meant that we didn't have any land to build the tiny house on. And so Patrick ideally would have loved to have been able to build our own trailer Mm because he's a welder. Ah. He's built tons of tiny house trailers since. But in that situation, we weren't able to do that. So we had to also incorporate renting land if we could even find any land to build a trailer or to build a tiny house on. Uh, The trailer cost we knew would be one of the highest. So we were basically looking for anything under 5,000, which was pretty rare. Yeah. So we were lucky enough to secure a trailer for $3,000, but that low price did bite us in the butt a little bit later on. I might be able to talk about it in this, but um, it's definitely covered in the book, but that was a very, very close moment where we ended up losing our tiny house. Wow. So the tiny house trailer cost us $3,000 and then the rest of our budget was 20. That was basically our life saving. Yep. We spent about $5,000 on the solar system and everything else we did for that, um, that in between. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was quite challenging, but one of the, the good sides about Christchurch was that they were demolishing so many homes. So there were so many lots of um, places and reusable materials that we were able to use yep. salvage materials. And so about, I'd say about 80% of our house is built out of reused material. Wow. That's amazing. And so yeah. you and Patrick did all the labor yourselves? Yes. Yeah. So we were able to find some land on a llama farm about cool. 15 minutes from where we were living. So we concentrated most, basically every weekend that we had for nine months straight wow. was focused on building the house. Wow. Yeah. And what, what were, how big was it? What, what was the layout? Those kinds of things. Yeah. So our tiny house is 14 square meters. Sorry, I don't have the square foot off the top of my head. (laughs) Um, But it's pretty small and it was a hundred percent based on the size of the trailer. So once we bought the trailer, that's when we really started honing down on our design. Patrick absolutely refused to have a loft. (laughs) <laughs> okay. So that was his his well, line of the sand. I would say that's uh, Every- wise. <laughs> I'm not a big loft fan myself. Yeah. For sleeping. So yeah. <laughs> it's not for everybody. Yeah. So don't think that you have to have a loft if you're building a tiny house. So we decided to do the pull-out bed uh-huh. under the floor. Uh-huh. And other than that, we were pretty flexible with the idea of, you know, design and layout and yep. things, but we wanted to maximize the floor space. So we didn't want to just have like all of our things along both sides and have a quite narrow hallway ish Mm -hmm. kind of design. So it's a bit more open plan as open plan as you can be if it's only, you know, 2.4 meters wide. Yeah. So we've got, you know, a bench, a kind of U shaped kitchen on one end and then the bathrooms on the other end. 
And yeah, it's pretty simple, awesome. pretty basic. Definitely on the small side of tiny houses. Yeah. So I, I, I did a little, uh, little Google research here while you were talking and it sounds like 14 square meters is about 150 square feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2.4 meters wide is about 7.9 feet. So just, just under eight feet wide. And then, mm-hmm. uh, I can do some public math, which I never like to do 14 divided 2.4. Uh, I'm guessing that your tiny house is about 5.83 meters long. Which is mm-hmm. 19 feet. There you go. There you go. So about yeah, eight by 20. Um, yeah. Which, yes, I agree, is, is actually very similar size to my tiny house and is on the small side these days for tiny houses, mm. for sure. Mm, definitely. Yeah, pretty much all the trailers Patrick has built now have been triple axle, just maxing it out maxing it out yeah yeah so so he has kind of been building tiny house trailers for other other tiny houses in new zealand yeah yeah the first the first one he built i think he just wanted to prove to himself that he could (laughs) (laughs) and then after that we were just we just were so cognizant of how lucky we were to get a three thousand dollar trailer because without that we wouldn't have been able to build our tiny house yeah and so he was like, you know, I'm going to make it affordable for other people to get in the tiny house movement. So all of our trailers have been under $10,000 and, you know, locally built. Wow. We paint them ourselves. He imports everything. So, wow. yeah, it's been really nice being able to help people get um, get into their own tiny home. Yeah, that's awesome. So what is the what's the legality of tiny houses in New Zealand, like specifically tiny houses on wheels? Yeah. So that's a pretty interesting difference between, I mean, in the States you have, every state is a little bit different. Every County is a little bit different Mm -hmm. in New Zealand. Pretty much all you have to do is satisfy the requirements for the region and also for the national building code. And so that building code, I go into more detail in my book about it Mm -hmm. for people who are interested is um, basically you have to satisfy two requirements. Your tiny house can't be permanent. And it has to be movable. Okay. So both of those things are, as you know, probably, you know, up to interpretation, like how permanent is permanent and how often do you have to move it for it to be considered movable? Okay. So in both of those cases, you're kind of in a gray area. And if you're okay living in a gray area, then I'd say the tiny house movement is for you in New Zealand. Otherwise, there have been some people who've gotten caught out but luckily a lot of the uh, court cases have tended to go in the direction of as long as you're on wheels and as long as it's still movable, there's really not much they can do. Wow. That's, uh, that's refreshing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like it's not fully legal, but it also sounds like you are pretty much okay to live in a tiny house. Yeah. And there's not a lot of incentive for city councils to go after you especially if you're planning on, for example, building a house. So that's quite common people living in mobile homes or, you know, RVs for a year Mm -hmm. while they're building their house. So they don't, the council won't bother you while you're doing that. So really what's the difference between a tiny house and that? Sure. Sure. So that's the legality piece. What about the, the tiny house movement in New Zealand? Mm. Yeah. So when we were in Christchurch, when we first started looking into it, we were building in about 2015. Mm -hmm. Almost every 
like um, warehouse or hardware kind of store that I went to, to buy materials. Nobody had heard of the tiny house movement, mm-hmm. tiny house show, tiny house nation had just come on TV, even mm-hmm. though it had been out for a few years in the States. Mm-hmm. So people were starting to understand it then. And we knew a handful of people who were building tiny houses and Bryce from living big in a tiny house had, you know, I think he'd had like maybe a year or two's worth of YouTube video. Yeah. So it was still in very much in the beginning phase. Not many people had known about it. And so we didn't really feel like there was much of a community. Mm-hmm. Now there's tiny house expos up and down the country. There are, I'd say hundreds of people living in tiny homes. Wow. And I'd say in most, most major cities, you'll find people and they tend to be most common in cities that are the most expensive to live in. So it just makes sense. Yeah. Man. So New Zealand is just like way out in the, in the forefront in a lot of ways, because it doesn't sound like they're stopping people. No, no. And that's the best part about it too. The, I mean, all you have to do is just go on trade me or Facebook trade me is like, um, like a Craigslist Craigslist, kind of version in New Zealand. And you'll see lots of homes, uh, lots of tiny houses for sale. So the resale market too is quite, it's quite um, vigorous and there's a lot of choice out there. Yeah. And now the, the climate in New Zealand is, is pretty friendly for tiny houses as well, right? It varies. Okay. In the North Island, I'd say that's definitely the ideal place to have a tiny house where we are. It's, it doesn't snow. It's not nearly as cold as it was when we were living in Boston mm-hmm. and New Hampshire. But when you get into the central Otago kind of area, like, you know, you picture like the, the snow cap mountain vistas that you imagine New Zealand is. Yeah. I mean, there's some people who do live there. And so the, I think that probably may be one of the more difficult places to live. Yeah. But Dunedin is, is like coastal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's ideal. <laughs> and, and is your tiny house fully off grid there? Yeah. So it was fully off grid basically up until we moved to Dunedin. So we built it in Christchurch. We drove it down to Dunedin. We made one stop for about six months and then we came further south to Dunedin. Mm-hmm. And then because my husband's a welder, Welders use a lot of electricity and that would have easily drained our battery. So when we got to the property that we're on now, we made sure that we had electricity set up. So the tiny house does have the electricity as a backup, uh-huh. but for the most part, it is, it's off the grid. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So I feel like you just brought up the move and now I feel like I want to ask you about the story uh, that you mentioned with your trailer issues. <laughs> Well, it was really harrowing and I'm glad I can laugh about it now because at the time I did not, I was very, very shaken. So we bought the trailer when we had first moved to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And the key point about this story is that for most Americans, it would seem very obvious that when you sell a trailer, that means that you own the trailer. Okay. Correct. Sure. Yeah. Right. It's like a car. You're selling a car. That means you are in possession of the car. So that concept is what we'd grown up with, what we had been operating with that concept. Yeah. We bought the trailer, $3,000. The gentleman was going to build a trailer, tiny house on it. His girlfriend and him broke up. So we needed to get rid of the trailer. Fair enough. Built the trailer, moved it twice. The whole time we had this trailer in the tiny house, it was on private land. Okay. So it wasn't on the road. Okay. Except for 
you know, for three or four hours. So we were living in Waimati, which is a very small rural farming town in the South Island. And one day I'm just at home reading casually as you do in your tiny house. I get a knock on the door and a gentleman says, hi, I'm here to repossess your trailer. I was like, excuse me? He's like, yes, you're going to need to remove your tiny house off the off your trailer and we're going to take it today. And I'm like, the tiny house doesn't come off the trailer, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, I look out the door. He's in like this tiny little white SUV. I'm like, there's yeah. no way that you're taking my trailer with you. So how much do you want for this to go away? Because I know that most of those repo guys, they yeah. there's a certain amount of money that needs to be paid off. Right. So... I finally get it out of him. He's like, oh, it's going to cost you $10,000. That's how much there's a loan on this trailer. We're like, but we bought this trailer in faith that the person who sold it owned it. It turns out that he had had a loan. He was using that trailer as collateral for a personal loan. And with the $3,000 we gave him, he chose not to pay off that loan. Instead, he took it and had a grand old time, I'm sure. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So the con- the key concept, like I mentioned before, is in New Zealand, your debt does not follow you. Your debt is connected to the item that is your collateral. Okay. So that was a big wake up call for us. We were terrified. So we're like, this guy's going to repossess our tiny house. We have to move it right away. Right. So I think that evening I called a friend. I was like, can we bring your tiny house to your driveway? So he doesn't come back to our house and take it. So we hide it at her driveway. We had been preparing the land where we were planning on moving. We were planning on moving anyway in a couple months. We're like, we just need to move it right away. Yeah. I don't care if it's ready or not. Right. So a few days later, we hook the tiny house up. We drive it in the middle of the night to Dunedin. Oh boy. <laughs> we park it up. It's, it's hidden. You can't see it from the road. So we're like, it's going to be fine. He'll never find it. He'll never find the yeah. tiny house. You know, that saying um, possession is like three fifths of the law or whatever the saying goes. So we're like, as long as we have it, we'll be good. Yeah. So we had the trailer, we had the tiny house, I mean, and then we take the guy to court because that's all we can do. We don't have $10,000. Okay. So you took the guy, you sold it, you bought it from to court. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And we were like, just pay us the money or take the tiny house off as your collateral for your loan. And that's what he ended up doing. He changed the t- the collateral from the, our tiny house to his personal vehicle. And that was it. Ah, <laughs> wow. <laughs> An easy solution. I know. It only took six months in small claims court. And oh my gosh, we had to hire a private investigator to find him and yada, yada, yada. But oh boy, long story short, we got it and we sorted it out, but. It was very stressful. Uh, there you go. There's a lesson <laughs> lesson to the kids out there in uh, contracts and uh, titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do wow. your research. Wow. Every country is a little bit different. Just because they speak the same language doesn't mean they have the same law. Yes. Very <laughs> good point. Very good point. Mm. So um, you moved the tiny house to Dunedin onto this land that you had bought. And then um, were you planning always to kind of live in the tiny house for a period of time and then build something bigger? Yeah. So it was, it was, it was home for so long Mm -hmm. and it just seemed so natural. It was like, we were able to travel. We were able to save so much. So the original $20,000 that we spent on the tiny house, we were able to save that back in less than a year. 
wow. just by not paying rent. Wow. Um, and well, also because I was in school while we were building the tiny house. So I started working. So double the income minus rent. That's pretty good. Yeah. So it also was pretty handy too, because after we moved to Dunedin, I didn't have a job right away. Mm. So living in the tiny house was just really nice for me not to feel stressed about being unemployed. And so we were able to coast a lot longer than we would have otherwise. Okay. So that security is what made us feel comfortable staying in the tiny house for a little bit longer than, you know, your average, your average person. I mean, everybody's situation is different, but yeah, we definitely have not met a lot of people who've lived in a tiny house for as long as we have, especially in Dunedin or in New Zealand in general. So we had been kind of thinking about what our next steps would be. We were looking at our savings, how much we had, what the housing market was doing, how much it would cost to build. Our first idea was just build a bigger tiny house or extend our tiny house. Like maybe use our first tiny house as our living room kitchen and then build a bedroom perhaps to have, mm-hmm. you know, like the L-shaped tiny house designs that you see sometimes. Mm-hmm. So we were thinking about that and then we're thinking about how we can improve and increase the value of the property. And we always just came back to a house is probably the best way to improve the value of a property. So we started doing the numbers and we figured we could, if we kept it really small and we did all the interior ourselves, Mm -hmm. we could do it for about $400,000. And so, yeah, we hit the button right, right in the nick of time. We went back home to the States to visit family. We went to Mexico. We went to Australia right before COVID-19 hit in 2020. Wow. And then we had lockdown in New Zealand around March. And our house started getting built right after we got out of lockdown. And it was finished in December. So now building costs are just through the roof. But we were able to get our beautiful house done and... um yeah. So we're very, very happy. Wow. And the timing worked out. <laughs> Congratulations. Ideally. That's really lucky. Yeah. So you, for the, for the larger house, you opted to have it professionally built. Yes. Yeah. It was just a matter of convenience, ease, dealing with city councils and all the regulations and things. And yeah. So, so building the house, the outside we had a nice, great local builder. He actually specializes in small homes too. So he totally understood where we were coming from. It's only a two bedroom. It's mostly open plan. Nice. And so, so many things that we learned from the tiny house we've been able to put into motion here. So for example, our big house is off the grid. Well, as close as we could be, we're kind of still figuring that out. This first year we've spent, I think about $200 in electric bills, which has been great Wow. for whole house. We, Patrick installed the air conditioning himself. We designed the kitchen ourselves. We, he welded the whole kitchen himself. So we did everything on the interior ourselves. Yeah. And without having built the tiny house, we would never have had those skills. So it saved us a lot of money. Yeah. And it, it's awesome too, because now the tiny house you have on your property and, and you've turned that into an Airbnb business. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a cool path that, you know, rather than plunking down your life savings on your first home and then, you know, paying a bunch of money for a mortgage that is mostly interest and then selling it and getting a bigger home. Mm. You, you did the tiny house, you recouped the costs in a year because, because of rent 
And then now you get to keep that tiny house and turn it into a source of income. Absolutely. I mean, it's not a great source of income because no tourists right now. (laughs) That's, that's a good point. Yeah. But it is still really nice. And honestly, if you, if the way I think about it is if that tiny house was empty right now, which it would be, it would cost us more if we had to go back up there and like fix all the stuff that is yeah. leaking or empty or whatever. You, a house needs to be occupied, you know, and we're giving people an opportunity to test out tiny house living because we had never stepped foot in a tiny house before we built ours. Wow. So we really That's a leap of faith. <laughs> had no concept of what it would be like. Yeah. We were like drawing our tiny house design on our driveway at, at our flat. Yeah. To like yeah. walk around and get like a 3D, 3D, you know, experience of it. But yeah, staying in a tiny house is definitely the first step. That's a really good way to do it, to, to do it in life size, you know, yeah. one-to-one scale. Mm, mm, highly suggest that yeah and the tourists will be back i mean it's only a matter oh, of time I'm sure. I'm sure. yeah sure. <laughs> um if not has new zealand are they not letting in international visitors yet no not yet they're still trying to figure out how to um you know track vaccines and do quarantine and all that yeah. stuff yeah that's definitely one of the downsides of being closed for so long is that other countries have just progressed these systems so much faster. And so New Zealand's kind of playing catch up right now, yeah. but I'm sure they'll, they'll get it together. I'm sure they'll figure <laughs> it out. Is there anything that you miss about living in the tiny house now that you're in a larger house? Um, actually, I feel like I'm just so much lazier. So we filmed this YouTube video when we moved mm-hmm. from the tiny house to our big house. And we were able to move in like maybe, I think it took about three hours. And we brought everything down from the time. So this is literally a brand new house, nothing in it. And we brought everything from the tiny house down to the brand new house. And it filled the entire brand new house. This is like a 14 square meter house down to, I think our house is 80 square meters. Uh And it was full. The kitchen was full. The bedroom was full. All my clothes fit in like two dressers and a closet. I was like, how did I get all that stuff in my tiny house? Wow. And it was because we had to think so smart about every inch of space. And it was just like, and we would, (laughs) on the weekends and the evenings, we would just like, you know, have a few drinks and then just completely rearrange our kitchen. That's the kind of people we are. (laughs) It was like, oh, I think this could be more efficient. We're all about optimizing space. Love it. And so moving into this house, I just find myself just like plonking things because you don't have to think about it. Right. So I definitely just like that challenge and just the limit, like being limited actually makes you more creative in some ways. And so that's what I really miss, miss about the tiny house. Yeah. Yeah. How it, how it made me think differently. Those constraints kind of make you think about things differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I also want to ask you about about the book that you just published, uh, South Island Tiny House. Um, yeah. Tell, tell me about it. Sure. So it um, kind of came about from our blog. So uh-huh. like many people, when you're doing a big new project, you want to keep track of it because it's good for posterity's sake to be able to look back at those old photos. And so I started the blog and then mm-hmm. we kind of gave up on the blog near the end of the house because we were just like <laughs> so overwhelmed with how much work we had to do. So I always had that kind of in the back burner of my head, like, ah, I'd really like to be able to get this all in one place. So 
basically my, my dream was so that I could have a book about my tiny house inside my tiny house. Uh-huh. So <laughs> that was my ultimate goal. Even if I like, if, even if nobody read it, as long as the book was inside of the house, I would be happy. So, so we also started a YouTube channel too, before we knew we were moving out. I was like, I really want to do like, you know, a good snapshot of what our life was like in the tiny house before we left. Mm-hmm. Cause now that it's on Airbnb, it doesn't look like our house anymore. You know, you decorate things differently. It doesn't right. matter. Stuff right. So between the YouTube video, the YouTube channel and the blog meshed together, became this book. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really just for me, it's just a passion project, just encapsulating everything that we learned and that moment in our history. And that's, that's, you know, basically given us our future. So yeah, it's just my love letter to my tiny house. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. How has the reception been? Oh, it's been pretty good. I mean, there's not a lot of books written by women about tiny houses, let alone African-American women probably the first one in New Zealand, black woman in New Zealand to build a tiny house. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't see a lot of people like myself in the movement. Yeah. You still don't at the expos. It's really just one kind of person, you know? True. So I wanted to make that book just so people know that you don't, you can be different and live in a tiny house and that there are other people living, living tiny. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for for do for writing the book and for sharing what you're doing online because I do think it's really important for for people who don't look like the majority of people who are in the tiny house mm. movement to like be present and represented. Absolutely, absolutely. And I did have a lot of I mean, like I started from zero, from absolute scratch and my husband obviously I was like his glorified <laughs> helper when it came to building, right. but he was still even really dependent on just having an outside perspective mm-hmm. on building things. Because when you're in the building world, when you're in construction, there's like a certain way of doing things. But when it comes to tiny houses, there really is no rule book. Mm-hmm. So thinking creatively, thinking outside the box can save you a lot of money, can save you time, can help problem solve too. So having that, that diversity of thought really can actually be a benefit in the end. And you don't need to have like all the super duper handy dandy building skills, you know, you can learn on the job too. So yeah. It's all, really great. it's all very learnable. Um, you know, over the course of, of the year or two that it takes to build the house, you really can skill up quite a bit. Absolutely. And anybody can do it. So don't let anybody tell you you can't. Nice. <laughs> anybody can do it. Now, I remember at some point I heard that New Zealand was like incentivizing people to move there. Is that, is that still a thing? There was, there was um, a few small towns, I think that were incentivizing people like giving away free land or yeah. land for or something like that. So it's, they've kind of gone like about face. I'm kind of getting whiplash, honestly, as an immigrant in this country, because at times you're hearing positive policies and trying to encourage people to move here. But basically I think all they really want is rich people moving here. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I guess every country has their visa classifications. And if you're a bazillionaire, you know, like Peter Thiel, everything's pretty easy for you. Right. But 
But yeah, so my husband came in on a working holiday visa. Okay. And I highly suggest everybody, once the world opens up again, there's a lot of countries that have those. So you can come to a country for a year as long as you're under the age of 30 and work. You can work full-time, you can work part-time, you can travel, you can work in a vineyard, whatever. So Japan, Australia, New Zealand, I think there's a few other countries that do that. So that's the visa he came in under. And that I think is a really great eye-opening experience and a great way to come to New Zealand for the first time, even if you don't know if you want to stay. Mm -hmm. But that is probably one of the easiest visas you can get. Nice. Good to know. And how long... How long of a trip is it to get from like the East coast of the United States to New Zealand? So when we first left, they really only had flights from LA and San Francisco. And so, you know, however long it takes you to get to that point first. Yeah. I think it's about, is it like a nine or 10 hour flight? I forget. I haven't done it in like two years. Oh, from, from like New York to LA is like five hours. Yeah. Okay. So five hours yeah. plus your layover. Yeah. The flights only leave after like nine or 10 PM. Okay. Which sucks. So you're there all day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you get on your flight and honestly, it's, it's probably one of the easiest international flights because you get on the plane at nine o'clock. Yeah. They give you dinner, you go to sleep, uh-huh. you wake up, you're in New Zealand or Australia. Oh, so it's a nine hour flight from Los Angeles. It's a little bit okay. longer than that. Okay. I think, but yeah, it's really it's really not that bad because for your time change, it, it's right, natural. Right. Coming back the other way, it's weird. So you only really get jet lag when you're coming back into the States. But going there, pretty breezy, pretty breezy. Yeah. Jet lag is the worst. Yes. New Zealand is on my bucket list of places to see and visit. It seems like Definitely. it. And it seems like with the popularity of tiny houses there. One could go on vacation in New Zealand and stay in many tiny houses while while they're there, including yours. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a bunch on uh, Airbnb, Verbo, and even New Zealand has, has this really colorful and diverse history of batches, which is a term that I'd never heard of. I think I this is my far out guess that it might like ref, like kind of have some similarity wording history to a bachelorette pad, like a bachelor pad. Okay. Okay. So it's basically like the the cabin or the, you know, vacation home that people imagine in the States. And so usually it's family or extended family that come and stay at a very off the grid, low key, isolated kind of cabin Okay. for vacation. And so that history is what has probably made the tiny house movement so popular here because it's already in people's realm of understanding for like a getaway, a small getaway place. Nice. All right. So there's, there's already that, that cultural like idea, like you're going to have a cabin, a little rustic thing and and people are going to stay there and visit you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you enjoy it when it's summertime, you go fishing, go to the beach. It's just, it's just the fun, cool, hip, tiny, tiny little spot for you to, because it's not about the stuff that you have there. It's about the time that you spend with your family and the relationships and your lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, you, there's a tour of your tiny house that I'll, I'll totally put on the show notes page. Um, but just like having looked through photos, one thing that really caught my eye was the, uh, briefcase sink vanity. Yeah. (laughs) 
Can you describe that? I mean, for those, I encourage people to come to the show notes page and see a photo of it, but can you describe it? <laughs> yeah. So, so that was actually a funny day when we were building. So I had this idea. I'm definitely the ideas person in our family and Patrick is the one that makes it happen. So I had this idea. I bought these old suitcases. I bought like four or five of them. Mm-hmm. And I came in, I was like, this is going to be my medicine cabinet. Okay, Patrick, medicine cabinet, got it. And so we come into the bathroom and our bathroom is tiny. It's basically the same dimension, just duplicated of like a shower pan, mm-hmm. more or less it's mm-hmm. as small as we could go, which is common in a tiny house. Yep. And there's absolutely no room for a suitcase <laughs> of medicine cabinet. There's no room at all. So that obviously didn't factor into my, my chalkboard drawing very well, did it? Uh-huh. So I was holding up this suitcase. I couldn't figure out what we were going to do with it. Patrick had just installed the sink and I had that ugly, you know, white pipe, PVC pipe yeah. and the trap. So I was like, oh, why don't we just put it underneath the sink and it'll just hide all that plastic. And he's like, that's a great idea. So we cut the back off of it. Mm-hmm put some wood framing so it wouldn't fall apart. Just quite flimsy. It's yeah. very old. Yeah. Put that against the wall. And then the opening, you know, the opening part, it's like a briefcase kind of suitcase. Yeah. And that I just like stash all my essential oils in there. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's, it worked out great. We didn't really have a plan. We, we knew we needed a sink. Uh-huh. We knew we needed some storage. And so the two came together and uh, yeah, yeah, and it, it worked out pretty good. And I see the, there's another, there's like a record player shelf that is also a suitcase. It just broke. Oh. One of our tiny house guests just broke it the other day. Oh no. So we had to go up there. So the zipper broke. So I was like, oh, Pat, just, just, we'll just cut one of your belts in half. And so now it's belt. So when you put it up, instead of zipping it up, you just belt it. <laughs> Very resourceful. You got to think creatively because I love my record player. I really miss it. So sometimes we go up there and have dates in our own tiny house. Oh, to listen to records. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is, you know, what are two or three resources that inspired you while you were designing and building your tiny house that, that you can share with our listeners? Sure. So I really like coffee table architectural books. Okay. Those are super fun. And if you can't afford them, you know, just, just be annoying and just staying in like stand in a bookshop, you know, for a couple hours, <laughs> just looking through those photos really just help to like open your mind to different ideas and concepts and just like lighting and space use and, yep. you know, interesting shapes and things. Um, Cause a lot of people, I mean, a lot of tiny houses that I see now are starting to kind of all conform to the same kind of look almost. Yeah. And it really is, it's quite limiting to build a tiny house, but it also is very freeing. So think outside the box. So that's one, one first place I would say. The second place is don't look at other tiny houses, look at like houseboats or container homes or cabins or tree houses. Yeah. You know, those are also really great resources. So there's a lot of information online. YouTube, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And lastly, I don't know, maybe just like this antique shop. I mean, that's a really also a great resource too, is um, a lot of the things we bought and put in the tiny house were just, just from us, you know, poking around in like antique places on the side of the road and 
yeah, I think it's just it's just having an openness and an inquisitive almost nature into building and and you'll find all the inspiration you need. Awesome. Well, Corey Ann Holmes, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, it was really great. Thank you so much, Ethan. Thank you so much to Corey Ann Holmes for being a guest on the show this week. You can find lots of photos of Corey Ann's tiny house along with a full transcript and links to Corianne's website and Airbnb at thetinyhouse.net slash 189. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 189. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.